Would you stand with us, please, as we, uh, we kind of end up this Thanksgiving weekend and kind of dive right into Advent and Christmas? So let's join in this song. Forever, for the life that's been. 
Not like 
again let's uh i don't think it's too early to say merry christmas let's uh let's all say hi to somebody and say merry christmas this morning oh merry christmas you guys can go ahead and have a seat uh, it is great to be together this morning and just begin to celebrate this Christmas season. So that was a great start. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Adam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Hopevale, and I'm up here with Naomi. And as promised last week, 
We just wanted to give a final recap of our Operation Christmas Child project. And so I brought Naomi up this morning to help me do that. So before we jump in and share about that specific number, uh, Naomi is a longtime Hopevale attender and member. And this has been a project that in the last couple years especially, she's just gone mo even more deeply involved in. And so from that standpoint, Naomi, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about what it is that has just captured your heart about this project. Sure, that's a great question. Um, of course, like many of you, uh, I've packed a box or two over the years, and I think as parents, it's a good way um, for us to teach our children about giving. So I had done that with my son um, when he was a, a school-age child. But then last year, for some reason, I can't remember now why, I went to the processing center, um, kind of followed the shoeboxes on their journey, and I'm an executive assistant um, professionally, and so organization and attention to detail kind of appeals to me. And when I walked into the processing center in Charlotte, I was just amazed at how well run that operation is in every aspect of Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child. Every detail is thought of, so it just gave me so much peace to see how well everything was organized. And when I got home from that trip, I just started to really kind of germinate something inside of me and um, talking to some of the people that had gone down on the trip and their involvement in Hopevale and didn't know a lot of the people um, on that trip when we first went and got to know them. So it was a way to get to know some other Hopevalers as well. And then just kind of looking behind the scenes, a uh, little more detail, what does Operation Christmas Child do all year when they're not uh, involved in the shoeboxes? And I was just really impressed with, again, the organization and how well run it is and how accountable it is for what it does. Great. Yeah, it really is an incredible project. And I just love hearing about the ways that, you know, it captured your heart in a way that it just you're gifted and you're passionate about. And so just the way that you can take those gifts and passion and just put it to use in this project is really neat. And so part of that uh, right here in our lobby was the distribution and then taking back in of the boxes. And so what, just from your perspective of being a part of that team, what were some of the neat things that you got to see and experience as our entire congregation participated in this? Sure, again, well, I think one of the things that really stood out to me was how God individually uses each person where they're at in their season of life, in their life journey, in their walk with Christ. And so some people, out of their abundance, just responded abundantly and just did dozens of boxes personally, either themselves or with groups or with coworkers. But then there were other people that you could just tell were participating sacrificially and just maybe doing one box. And out of their need, they responded and sowed seed. And I also like that it's not just about, and Pastor Adam and I talked about this, it's not just about doing more boxes than we did last year. It's about making connections, every person that came up to the desk. And I'd like to be able to say that, you know, I did it for some profoundly spiritual reason, but sometimes I think in our brokenness we serve. And some of you, um, particularly women that, you know, know me, know that I have an only son and he moved across the country and got married and Sunday was kind of our day. And so I've been feeling that, um, kind of hanging around church longer and to not kind of not notice that void a little bit. And so I think sometimes when you serve in your brokenness, God meets you there. <clears throat> and so there were people that came up to the desk 
And one lady I'm thinking of in particular said, I normally go to the 9 o'clock, but I just found out my cousin, you know, passed away this morning, and we were really close. And at that point, it stops being about the shoebox, and you just kind of put things aside. And we had an opportunity to pray, and there are just so many opportunities like that that I just saw God move personally um, in individuals' lives. And even um, there were some people that maybe couldn't um, put the $7, you know, shipping in their box or forgot or didn't know that was part of the plan. And, you know, you don't say anything because you know God's going to meet the need. And I can't tell you how many people came up and said, hey, I didn't have time to um, pack a shoebox, but here's a check for $50. And so, you know, God just always covers everything. It was just really neat. And other people, it's like I meant to pack a box and I ended up with this bag full of leftover stuff, you know, so you'd end up with all this filler. So it's just really great. Very cool. You know, one of the things, I mean, there's a lot of ministry that takes place through Hopevale throughout the week, whether it's individuals or community groups serving together. And so, you know, this church-wide project really is an opportunity for the entire congregation to collaborate on one project together. And I, I just love the sense that that gives us of, of unity and working together on something. And so from that standpoint, we did want to share uh, our total number of boxes this year that came in. And so... Naomi? The big reveal. <laughs> 1,726 shoebox gifts were packed. Awesome. <laughs> and so as you talk about and think about that number, we've said before, each box represents one child who's going to receive that and hear about the love and hope of Christ and then spread that to their family as well. And so, you know, that is what we celebrate in that number and so we just wanted to take a moment as well and just pray for each child and family who's going to be receiving those boxes on behalf of Hopeville. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the overwhelming response of your people. We thank you for each person that so lovingly packed a shoebox gift, either in their abundance or out of their need. And Father, we just pray that you would reward their response, Father, this holiday season. And they May they just sense your presence in such a real and tangible way. And for others, Lord, who maybe didn't pack a box but gave financially, we pray that you would bless them as well, Lord God. Thank you for their response. For people that responded by praying, Lord, we thank you for them and for um, partnering them in this project through prayer. And Father, now we do pray for the boxes as they make the next leg of their journey. Uh, toward the children that are going to be receiving them. We pray for our team that's uh, processing boxes, that you would give them strength this week um, as they joyfully go through each uh, box so carefully, Father, to make sure that uh, it maintains the integrity of the person that packed it, but that it's ready to be shipped as well. And, Father, for the children who will be receiving these, we just pray, Father, that you would open their hearts to hear the gospel message, open their ears, Lord. And we just thank you that uh, through these shoebox gifts that they will experience the love of your son. And we do ask all of these things in the name of the Christmas child, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you all again for participating in Operation Christmas Child this year. Uh, we just look forward to the ways that God is going to continue to use that ministry. And uh, again, just thanks for your participation in that. Uh, so we continue in our worship service this morning. I want to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare to give of our regular tithes and offerings. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together this morning, Lord, and we know that we just came out of a busy season of Thanksgiving and a lot of crazy shopping days and just all that that entails. And Lord, this is just uh, the beginning of our opportunity to, to really shift our focus onto you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to quiet our hearts and our minds this morning to focus on you and what you have for us this Christmas season. God, may you, through your Holy Spirit, just speak to us and our hearts in a new and fresh way, uh, maybe for the first time in our lives. So just understand what the true meaning of this season is and the hope that we have in you. And so, Lord, as we pre uh, prepare to give our tithes and offerings, Lord, we just come to this moment recognizing that you are the giver of it all. You own it all, Lord. And it is our heart's desire uh, to give back a portion to you because uh, it's yours and we just want to partner with you in your mission on this earth to bring the hope of the good news of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and hurting and broken world. And so we do that together this morning uh, out of joy and just trust that you will take it to further your kingdom here on this earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Lord, I 
this place with you. I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you.
here we are to worship, Lord. And there's another verse that we sometimes sing to that song. It goes, uh, humble and weak, and I bow down at the manger, hoping that salvation has come. And lifting my eyes and beholding my Savior, I know I am saved by his blood. So uh, I guess our prayer should be this, this coming Advent season that we can lift our eyes above above everything we have going on in our lives and, and really behold our Savior and what all that means to us. So that's our prayer. Lord, that's what we ask of you. And in the name of Jesus, we pray that. Amen. Cheer. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Uh, it smells really I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them.
So which one are you, right? <laughs> Why a marshmallow video? Well, Christmas and waiting have always gone together, haven't they, right? Even going back to our childhood when our first memories of Christmas probably have to do with the day and the joy of Christmas itself. You know, if we dig a little deeper, I'm sure we'll also come up with some of those pre-Christmas memories as well, right? And chances are a lot of those have to do with waiting. I mean, certainly the classic example of that for most of us growing up was putting together our Christmas list and doing that ahead of time and then having to wait, right? So let me ask you a question here, you know, to, to get us going, that as a child growing up, when did you start putting together your Christmas list, all right? Show of hands. How many of you put it off and didn't start until December? A few of you, right? Not many. I, you know, I think a lot of us are procrastinators, but when it comes to toys and stuff and things like that, we're not going to wait for that. How about November? Well, maybe would that have been your time? Okay. How many of you started in the fall before Halloween? Okay. And then finally, I know you're out there. How many of you actually started in the summer? All right. All right. Either overachievers or greedy. I, I can't quite figure that out, right? Yeah. I'm not sure I remember an exact month probably October, November-ish, but what I do remember is that my list-making was usually prompted by the arrival of the Sears Christmas catalog, right? Now, just to make sure I'm connecting with those of you who are younger, um, a catalog is something made of paper, <laughs> and there are pictures and words on it. That's how people used to shop before the internet, okay? Yeah. Anyways, every year it would come to the house, it was something like this thick, you know, and after you made it past the clothes, pajamas, men's and women's undergarment, why that was in the same book as the toys, I don't know. But you get past that, and there were pages and pages of toys. New toys, classic toys, race cars, action figures, sports stuff, rock'em, sock'em, robots, you name it all in there. It was like a direct pipeline to the North Pole, right? <laughs> and so I don't know if I was doing much before the catalog came, but when it came, it was only a matter of time before the list got going, and that list would grow and grow and grow. Making the list, that actually is a good memory of Christmas. But on the flip side, there are a lot of weeks between seeing pictures in a catalog versus opening presents under a tree, right? And while time seems to fly, the older I've gotten back then, it used to crawl like a turtle, slowly. That was my experience growing up, and chances are it's yours as well as a child. Christmas and waiting, they just go together, and it's why I showed that marshmallow video to get us going today, because depending on our age, I think some of us might forget the pain and the agony that come with waiting, and not just for Christmas, but any time we're looking forward to something good, even if it is just one more marshmallow. See, today we're beginning our Christmas series. It's entitled Hope is Here. Hope is Here, and over the next four weeks, Pastor Sam and I want to talk about the unique hope that Christmas 
brings. And Christmas, not so much in the sense of what I was talking about earlier, you know, with packages and presents, but Christmas as we read about in the pages of the Bible. The story of Christmas that celebrates the greatest gift ever given, right? God the Father sending his beloved son Jesus into this world for us. It's a story of joy, it's a story of peace, it's a story of love, but it's also a story of hope. And so this morning, as we begin to look at hope, I want you to notice that not only does Christmas go together with waiting, but hope goes together with waiting as well. It does. Hope in its very nature requires this element of waiting, because hope is where the present and the future come crashing together. See, hope believes that the best is yet to come, that no matter what you might be going through right now, you believe your fortunes are going to change for the better. There is this element of excitement, of anticipation that comes with hope. And that's the good news of hope, but the not-so-good news of hope has to do with the present. Think about it. If hope means that things are going to get better, then the implication is that there is something lacking in our lives in the here and now. That it's not all that you want it to be. So depending on your circumstances, hope can range anywhere from envisioning your life going from already being pretty good to being really great, or as is often the case, hope can just mean wanting your life to go from very hard and extremely difficult to just something, simply just anything a little bit better than that, right? That's the nature of hope. And yet if hope has to do with both the present and the future, then there's one other missing element that we need to think about, and that's the gap between the two, right? The time in between the present and the future. The gap, the time gap, the waiting gap, the how long is this going to take gap. Depending on what you're going through in the moment, this gap between the present and the future might be too much to bear and cause us to lose hope. So what can the story of Christmas teach us about this gap element of hope? And what can we learn about waiting, about looking beyond the present and our immediate difficulties? That's what we're going to explore in the passages of Scripture today. And to begin, I'm going to have us go back, right? Way back. And not only back to the time of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, but back even further than that to the Old Testament, to the time several hundred years before Jesus arrived, to that little town of Bethlehem. Now, just as I described what the Sears catalog was, I do want to explain a few things about the Bible, and I'm serious about this because I want to make sure I'm not leaving anyone out. But the Bible is this book that's a compilation of 66 smaller books that were written during different times in history, anywhere from 14, 1500 B.C., to the first century A.D. Now, these smaller books were written by different human authors, yet each of them was divinely guided by the Holy Spirit and what they wrote, these timeless words of God given to us through people from the past. That is the case for every one of these 66 books of the Bible. Now, from there, the Bible is divided up into two main sections, right? The Old Testament and the, Old, and the New Testament. And that division is really just a chronological one. And so the Old Testament records the story of God and his work in this world, largely through his chosen people, the nation of Israel. Starts with the story of creation and ends roughly around 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. 
Then the New Testament also records the story of God and his work in this world, but how he does that changes with the focus now being on Jesus Christ and then subsequently his church. Now I say all that because if you just want to dig into the details of the birth of Jesus and then the actual Christmas story itself, well then you focus solely on the New Testament because that's where you find everything about it. It's all right in there. But... If you want to discover why the story of Christmas is a story of hope, then you need to step back. You need to see the bigger picture, which includes the Old Testament and everything that happens before the time of Jesus. See, while joy to the world is this celebratory Christmas carol, we sing to remember the joyous occasion of the day that Jesus was born. There's another story of waiting that precedes it. And quite frankly, it's a rather long and difficult story. Now, when you go back to the Old Testament, you see that it's not one endless account of continual hardship, right? So yes, there are these 400 years of brutal slavery in Egypt between the times of Joseph and Moses. There's also that low point in Israel's history recorded in the book of Judges of spiritual unfaithfulness of numerous military defeats. But the Old Testament also tells us about the glory days, the reign of King David, the vanquishing of rival nations and the expansion of territory, the magnificence of worship in Solomon's temple, the splendor of his great wealth. All this right around 1000 BC when Israel was the major superpower in the world, second to none. This was the golden era for God's chosen people. But unfortunately, it didn't stay that way. Israel got weaker, other nations grew stronger, and as the years went on, the nation began to crumble as God's people gradually drifted further and further away from the Lord, especially the leaders, both in government and in religion. Corruption and injustice went up, faithfulness and compassion went down. Now, just to be clear, not everyone drifted. Not everyone was seduced by the allure of competing idols and God's substitutes. No, there was a remnant There has always been a remnant of men and women that God has preserved to carry on his work, even in the most difficult of times. And so by the time you get to the back of the Old Testament, you get to the book of the prophets, 700, 600, 500 B.C., you're now in this dark and depressing era of God's people that seems so far removed from the glory days of King Solomon and King David. And so in the midst of all this darkness, when it seems like there's no hope, what do you do if you are part of this faithful remnant who still believes, who still wants to honor God? How do you hold on when your kings are corrupt and your religious leaders are just in it for themselves? How do you keep on waiting when it seems like it's only a matter of time before your nation is overrun by invading armies, that you're removed from your home and taken into captivity in a foreign land hundreds of miles away? Where are you supposed to find hope in that? Well, this is where the prophets of God come in. These divinely appointed messengers who spoke with words of truth during a time of deception, a time of spiritual and moral confusion when you couldn't trust anything anyone else said. It's like what you see in the book of Jeremiah, right? Where these kings and false prophets kept telling the people, everything's good, everything's fine, when in fact it wasn't. And so in came these chosen messengers of God, these prophets who spoke about the reality of God's judgment, who spoke about the reality of Israel's unfaithfulness, 
And it wasn't what the people wanted to hear, but it's what they needed to hear. Truth from the perspective that only really matters in the end, and that's God's perspective. The fact is, his people had not walked in the way of the covenant he had made with them. They had turned aside from his goodness in order to pursue the ways of these other surrounding godless nations. And they needed to know that. Now, I know that doesn't sound very encouraging, right? And God, indeed, had every right to cut them off from his mercy and his love, but in the end, he didn't do that. He just couldn't. He wouldn't. And the reason God didn't turn his back on his people was because of his promises, that God in his very nature is a faithful God, that God keeps his word always. See, hope, real hope, hope that's the kind that's worth the wait, finds its real value in the iron-clad promises of God. And so because of his faithfulness, the prophets could also be hopeful in their words, hopeful to remind this remnant of God's promises, and in doing so, helping them to hang on in the midst of extremely dark circumstances. You know, one such occurrence happens in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, when the conquering Assyrian Assyrian armies are waiting at the doorstep of a defenseless Israel, ready to run them over, where the cheerful words of all these false prophets are finally going to be exposed. And yet in the midst of this despair, the prophet Isaiah speaks these words in verse 1, Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress, that in the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. This is Isaiah, and he's talking geography. He's talking about the northern part of Israel, the region of the country that the Assyrian armies are about to devastate. And yet, despite the gloom of the present, Isaiah tells them that there will be honor in their future. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living In the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And despite the deep darkness this remnant is presently experiencing, all is not lost. That a flicker of hope is coming, a glimmer of light is on the horizon. And what does that light look like? What could possibly reverse the fortunes of a nation under siege? Verse 6. For to us, a child is born, Isaiah says. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That led by the Lord, the prophet Isaiah speaks of a coming deliverer who's going to change everything, and he's going to do so in a rather marvelous yet unexpected way. He himself is this great light for a people living in darkness, this ruler who will come to his people as a mere child. And just by his appearing, they will know that something better is on its way. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne then over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
This is Isaiah reaffirming the promises of God to his people at a time when those promises seem the most unbelievable, that a ruler in the line of King David and one even greater than he will emerge. And so even though based on all outward appearances, there was absolutely nothing to suggest that help was on its way, Isaiah says, trust, believe, hang in there because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The passionate commitment that God has to be faithful to his promises. This is why you can wait with hope. So did that help eventually come? Did this child, this super ruler for God's people bring about their deliverance? Well, he did, but not in the way they thought he would and certainly not at the time they had hoped he'd come. Now we here in 2016, we've got the benefit of hindsight because we see that Isaiah's words of hope carried this double meaning. That on one level he's referencing a human leader to come that would bring them small d deliverance. Yet on another level, in a way that no one could quite see at the time, Isaiah, moved by the Holy Spirit, also speaks of a big d deliverer, the promised Messiah who would arrive on the scenes hundreds of years later in a rather unexpected way. In other words, Isaiah is talking about Jesus. For to us a child will be born, to us a son will be given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Jesus, and not just for them, but also for us. And so we fast forward 700 years to the life of Jesus, that even though we know the story of his miraculous birth, the the fact is Jesus lived a life of relative obscurity as the son of a carpenter in the small town of Nazareth. But all that changed for him around the age of 30, right? That after his baptism, that after his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus began his ministry. And as the gospel writer Matthew reflects on the beginning of Jesus' ministry career, which also happens to take place in the northern parts of Israel, it dawns on Matthew that Jesus is actually fulfilling these words from the prophet Isaiah. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. A light has dawned that in the same northern part of the land of Israel where God's chosen people as a nation began their decline several centuries earlier, that right there God would honor his promises. God would carry out his plan through the earthly ministry of Jesus, not just how it's beginning, but leading him three years later to the cross of Calvary, that he is the great light dawning on a faithful remnant living in the midst of deep darkness, that God came through. He came through in his own way, in his own timing, verse 17. And so from that time on, 
Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus declares the arrival of a new kingdom, the kingdom described by the prophet Isaiah, right? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. That Jesus is bringing about God's righteous rule here on this earth, and that because of that, the message is simple. Repent. Repent. Acknowledge your unfaithfulness to God and turn to his mercy. For the king indeed has come. And so as we begin this Hope Is Here series, I wanted to walk you through these passages from both the Old and the New Testament because they show us. They show us how Jesus fits into God's bigger plan of rescue and deliverance that came to pass over centuries of time, a plan that includes you and me. And not only these verses tell us about Jesus, but they also paint a great picture of hope for us. Because what is the nature of hope? Hope is a glimmer of light in the midst of deep darkness. Hope is what you hold on to when you feel like you're drowning. You know, I think about that marshmallow test video at the beginning, and the nature of hope is kind of like that, but even tougher. So I think the, the kind of hope the Bible describes from Isaiah to Jesus is more like sitting in a room with no marshmallows before you. You're in there, you're feeling all alone, you jiggle the door handle, realize it's locked, knowing you're trapped and you can't get out. But hope is believing that somehow, some way, someone's going to come back through that door and set you free. And you believe it's going to happen just because they said they would. That's the nature of hope. And so the question is, can you and I keep on holding on and not give up? Can we overcome the challenge of the waiting gap? Now we're going to see throughout this Hope is Here series that there are a lot of different elements that the hope of Christmas brings us. We're going to hear about a hope that's full of surprises. We're going to hear about a hope that's worth the risk, a hope that is better than imagined. And I'm glad we have all that to look forward to. But we'll never get to experience any of that hope if we can't make it beyond the present and hold on to the promises of God that speak about our future. Christmas, right? A child born for us, a son given to us. He is our reminder that God is always faithful to his promises. And so our encouragement is to hang on with hope. Why do we celebrate the same story every year? See, we need to keep coming back to the Bethlehem manger. We need to keep on reading the same Christmas stories from the Bible. We need to keep on singing the same Christmas carols. Why? Because they point us back to the faithfulness of our God. There's a passage from the New Testament book of Romans I came across this past week, and I want to share this with you. And I want it to be our guide not only for this week, but as our guide all throughout this Christmas season as we keep coming back to this theme of hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. To teach us what? So that through the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. 
we might have hope. How do you make it beyond the present? How do you overcome the challenge of the waiting gap? How do you get to a place where your hope for the future can help get you through the darkness of the here and now? What do you need? What does it say here? You and I need the endurance and the encouragement that only Scripture can provide. Everything that was written in the past, everything that comes to us from the pages of the Bible isn't just given to entertain us. No, they're given to teach us, to instruct us, to change our lives so that we can live with a hope that prevails over anything else we face in this life. See, one of the reasons you and I as Christians need to revisit the story of Jesus' first coming at Christmas is so that we can hold on with hope as we live for Jesus and wait for his second coming. Even when that seems so far off and like it's never going to happen. For everything that was written in the past, right? Was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I was thinking about those two words, right? Endurance and encouragement. And I realized that we all need that because everyone who embraces the hope that Jesus brings is going to go through times of doubt and discouragement. We are. We're going to go through seasons where we think, I can't make it. We think it's just not worth it. Maybe you're going through something like that right now, right? Where nothing's been going your way for quite some time and you feel like giving up. As a matter of fact, maybe you thought that growing older as a Christian would make things easier when in fact they've only gotten more difficult. Because sometimes the challenge isn't so much believing. No, it's simply enduring, right? Enduring where after a while you don't know whether or not you can keep holding on to faith that's you, you need to know you're not alone. The doubt and discouragement you're experiencing, they're not proof that God isn't there. They're not proof that you're faithless. They're not proof that you've done something wrong. No, they're simply proof that you're human. They're proof that while Jesus has defeated the darkness of sin and death at his first coming, they still have not yet been completely destroyed. There is still darkness that's around us. And if we lose sight of the light that Jesus brought us at Christmas, it can rob us of our hope. That's why the answer to the challenge of the waiting gap isn't found in pep talks or positive thinking, of people telling you that things are going to get better even though they can't say why, right? I'm not advocating for negativism and pessimism. I'm just saying that you and I need something that's stronger than warm wishes and good vibes, right? No, the way you and I overcome the waiting gap is by looking to the promises of God in the pages of Scripture, of tapping into the endurance and the encouragement that they alone can provide. Because the story of Christmas is the story of God honoring his promises, and because of those honored promises, we can have hope. The God who was faithful to his word 2,000 years ago on Christmas Day with the coming of Jesus. Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, that this same God will also be faithful to us, always, to the very end, no matter what the darkness tries to tell us. So look beyond the present 
this Christmas season. Let us hang on with hope. Hang on. Don't just take my word for it. No, look to God. Trust in his word. Believe in his promises. Look to the encouragement and the endurance they give us for the zeal of the Lord Almighty will always accomplish what he says he will do for us. This is the hope of Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that when we can step back, when we can see the grand scheme of your unfolding plan, not just in the moment Jesus comes, but over the sweep of history, we can be assured that you do not forget your people. You do not neglect your promises. And that in a way that is better than we could ever imagine, you meet us. You did that with Jesus at his first coming, and you will do that with Jesus again at his second coming. And so, Lord, let us look to your word. Let us cling to your promises, and may they give us the endurance and the encouragement we need to keep on going and not give up. Father, I realize that we've got the full gamut of people in this room today. I realize, Lord, that there are some who are hearing and thinking about Christmas in a new, a different way for the first time. Jesus, may you meet them in the deepest places of their heart. For others of us, Lord, this is the umpteenth time we're celebrating Christmas. May your Spirit give us fresh eyes and an open heart to be encouraged and renewed to keep on trusting you, even when we can't see it, right? Lord, hope is here. Jesus has come. He will come again. So let us follow you, faithful, trusting, believing, and you carrying us even when we can't carry ourselves. God, this is our prayer. This is our hope. And we give you our worship all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to close with a well-known Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which really reflects the cry of God's people leading up to the coming of Jesus. So thinking about the message and thinking about the grand scope from the Old to the New Testament, let's stand together and sing to our God. Okay.
that thought, we rejoice, because Emmanuel, God is with us. He has come. And I think of that just coming off this Holy Spirit series, that God is with us, God is in us, and it is a reminder that God, his son Jesus, will come back for us again. Until that comes, we hold on with hope. Next week, as we continue our series, Pastor Sam is going to talk about Mary's story and a hope that is full of surprises. But as you go from here, 
may God give you a rejoicing heart because Jesus has come. God bless you.